Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And in verse 26, Jacob says, the fight will not be over until I get what I want. I won't let you go until you bless me. And the question is, what was Jacob now fighting for? We understand in the beginning, Jacob's fighting to get away. But now he's fighting for a blessing, as he says. And then the question is, what kind of a blessing is Jacob looking for? What was he fighting for? Was he just looking for a a general blessing from the man? Was he looking for the man to say, "Uh, bless you, my son, you know? (laughs) Is that what he was looking for? No, there was a specific blessing that Jacob was fighting for. And our job, as we probe into this, is to discover what was that specific blessing that Jacob was fighting for. Now, some might say, well, you know, it's clear that Jacob just wanted the blessing that he would be delivered from Esau, you know, that just saved me from Esau. That was not the blessing that Jacob was looking for. The passage shows us that wasn't the blessing that Jacob wanted and would be satisfied with. And if we only see this wrestling match as just Jacob fighting for his life to be spared from Esau, we miss it. We miss it. We don't see what Jacob was really fighting for. You say, well... How do we really know that Jacob wasn't fighting for his life to be spared from Esau? Because when Jacob finally got the blessing that he wanted and stopped fighting, nothing was said about Esau. Nothing said about Esau not slaughtering Jacob. So there's a much deeper blessing that Jacob is fighting for. And this is what happened. Jacob's style gets put out of joint. Tremendous transition happens. Jacob enters in this battle, as we said, trying to fight for one thing. Now he's, he's got his thigh out of joint. He's transitioned to fight for something else. So when the fight starts and the man apprehends Jacob and grabs him, then Jacob is saying, I will not be confined by this person. I will not be confined by another person. I'm not going to have another person hold me. I'm not going to have another person tell me what to do, just like people today. They say in a marriage, I will not have my spouse telling me what to do. I'll free myself with a divorce from my spouse, and then I'll be free and I'll be independent, which is myself the answer to. And that's what people say about God, the same thing. I will not have God telling me what to do. I will free myself with a divorce from God, and then I'll be free and independent with just myself to answer to. That's Jacob. That's Jacob. This fight and this fighter represented to Jacob confinement, Jacob was fighting in the beginning for his freedom, for his independence from this man. Just like all of his life, Jacob has fought for his freedom and independence throughout his life, not to be under the thumb of either Esau or under Laban. You ever watched a fighter? It's interesting. You ever watched a fighter just before he enters the ring? It's kind of interesting. Because what you see in this fighter before he goes in the ring, the strong sense 
of self-confidence. You know, he's going to win. You can see it on his face before he enters the ring. And the trainer pumps him up before he enters the ring. Yeah, you can beat him. Remember all the training that you've got. You know how to beat him. You have the strength to beat him. You're the champ. That's how Jacob entered this fight with that way. See, he enters this fight, Jacob enters this fight with this strong sense of self-will that Jacob's going to win. You know, he enters this fight with a strong self-determination. He's going to win. You know, Jacob enters this fight with a strong self-confidence. He's going to win. He's got a strong self-assurance. Jacob's going to win. And that's Jacob. Jacob is strong in Jacob. Jacob is confident in Jacob. But when Jacob had his thigh put out of joint, his self-will, Jacob's self-will was broken. His self-confidence was broken. His self-determination is broken. His self-assurance is broken. And then he hears the man say, let me go. Here's the man saying, I'm leaving. And Jacob says, no, I won't let you go. He's saying, you're leaving? You've just painfully put my thigh out of joint. You reduced me to a crippled mass of flesh here. And now you say you're leaving? You've just broken my self-will. You've broken my self-determination. You've broken my self-confidence. You've broken my assurance in myself. And I have nothing in myself now. And now you say, you're leaving? And Jacob dies out of joint. Jacob says, I won't let you go. He's saying, you can't leave. You have just broken me. You've just bankrupted me. Now I have nothing in myself. You can't leave. And so now we can see that Jacob really wanted well, we can see what he really wants when he says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. He's saying what Jacob's saying here. Now that you've destroyed me and you've destroyed everything I've relied on, Jacob's doing this. He points his finger and says, I want you. That's what he's saying. That's the blessing that Jacob wanted. He wanted the man to replace what Jacob lost in himself. You know, tonight, Jacob could say, tonight, I lost self-direction. I want you to direct me in my life from now on. Tonight, I lost self-confidence. I want to put my confidence in you from now on. Tonight, I lost self-assurance. I want you to be my assurance in my life from now on. I will not let you go unless I, you bless me. The blessing I'm talking about is for you to replace what I lost tonight. I lost my confidence, my direction, and I want you to replace that from now on. So what he's asking for, what Jacob is asking for in this blessing is Galatians 2.20. Jacob is, is in essence saying, my thighs out of joint, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm not dead. I'm still alive here. Nevertheless, I live. Yet I want it to be, not I, but Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Jacob knew that this man was God. So I called this, I seen the face of God. And he's saying he wants this man to take over his life, live in him. He wants the man to be the new captain of his life, directing him. He knows he's bankrupt. So, you know, he knows he's bankrupt. He says, I, look, he says, you know, a little short on money. If you just give me a, a little loan, I'll get back on my feet again. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm turning the business of my life over to you, to God. So what happened here is what has to happen to everyone and to anyone who's saved. They've got to turn the business of their life over to God. You know, and it's not like, you know, the salvation message is, is some kind of a, look, you can't pass this up. I mean, a person says, well, yeah, I could use some fire insurance so I don't go to hell. I mean, you know, why not, you know? 
So this is what's happening here with Jacob. This is what we see here in Genesis 32 is the way of the cross. What's the way of the cross? The way of the cross is where Jacob comes to the end of himself and the beginning of God. His thigh's out of joint, and he says, you can't go unless you bless me. Jacob's bankrupt. He's tired of his life of independence from God. It's time for a change. So this is what happened to Jacob. This is what happens to any person who gets saved. The first step, end of self-confidence, end of self-dependence, now because the thigh's out of joint, and now it's got to be God. So the idea is that the man here is what he's saying here. He says, you know, let me go. He says, let me go. You know, the day's breaking, you know. Let me go. So the idea is that the man is saying, look, I got a lot of things to do, you know, and I want to leave. But the question really is, does he really want to leave? Not really. Notice the sequence and the statements. The man initiates the subject of him leaving by saying, let me go. This triggers in Jacob the response, I will not let thee go. The man really doesn't want to leave. But he says that in order to draw out of Jacob don't go. And that's not the first time that we see God in the Bible saying something that he really doesn't want to do, but he's trying to draw out a position in a person. See, this is the case with the Jewish people when God said, I want to destroy them. That's it. I want to wipe them off the earth because they made this golden calf. I want to destroy them. So God then told Moses, I want to destroy the Jewish people. So that he would, he'd said that because he wanted to get Moses to step up to the plate and plead for the Jewish people. That's what we see in Exodus 32. Exodus 32, verses 9 through 14, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I've seen this people. There, behold, this is stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I'll make of thee a great nation." And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with a great power, with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, repent of this evil against thy people, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest to them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented. That's something. The Lord repented? I thought sinners repent. But it says the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. God did not really want to destroy the Jewish people, but he wanted Moses to stand up in the gap between an angry God and a rebellious people and plead for the rebellious people, the rebellious Jewish people. David got it when he understood this, and he said in Psalm 106, verse 23, speaking of this part, this time here, therefore said he that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. See, that shows the heart of God. How He looks for a person to stand in the middle, stand between him and the people so that they don't get destroyed. You know, he talks about this in Ezekiel 22.30. God talked about it in Ezekiel 22.30 when he said, and I sought for a man among them that should make up 
the hedge. You know, think about a hedge, and there's a hole in the hedge. You know, a hedge is supposed to keep bad things out. And God says, I look for a man to stand up there in the hedge, stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. And then the tragic words are, but I found none. That's bad. Now, when we read those, so therefore we read of God saying to Jacob, let me go. I mean, again, you know, there's several angles we can look at this, but one of them is like, God is asking Jacob for permission to go. That's pretty astounding. <laughs> it's like, you know, couldn't God get clear of Jacob's grip? You know, of course God could. But so then why did God ask Jacob to let him go? He did that to put an honor on Jacob's faith. God does that. He puts an honor on people's faith. When the Lord Jesus Christ was going about, he was constantly crowning people, so to speak, with, I crown you, the honor of your faith. He said that. A woman with an issue of blood who believes that all she has to do is touch the hem of his garment to be healed, he turns her about, in Matthew 9, 22, Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said unto her, daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. He crowned her honor on her faith. A blind man comes. A blind man comes to the Lord Jesus. He believes that the Lord can heal him. And the Lord does the same thing. Crowns, he gives honor to his faith. He says, Mark 10, 52, Mark 10, 52. Jesus said unto him, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Another person, a leper. A leper believes that the Lord Jesus Christ can heal him. And he, he honors his faith by saying in Luke 17, 9, Luke 17, 19, Luke 17, 19, he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. So with Jacob, same thing. The Lord wants to draw out of Jacob that Jacob believed that this man could bless him because the Lord wanted to honor Jacob's faith as he did with the others in the New Testament. So by saying, let me go, God was drawing out of Jacob this desire. Jacob is not what he should be, but, but he believes that God can make him what he's not and what he should be. So, and God wants to honor that. There's a lot of things in Jacob's life that is not honorable, but this is honorable. Jacob has a kind of a, a grabbing tenacity for a personality. So he's named. So in the flesh, he grabs with tenacity Esau's heel when he's born. And he grabs the birthright. And now in the spirit, he uses that same tenacious grip to not let go of God. I mean, he's still Jacob, but now he's getting regenerated here. And so the same traits are sanctified now. For example, you get a person who's you know, sexually caught in pornography. He's got an inner drive that drives him into sin. After he's rescued and saved, that will drive him into creativity. That's a creative person. So this drive is not denied. It's just sanctified and used by God. So when Jacob told the man that he wouldn't let him go unless he blessed him, that man, you know, like we said, Jacob knew this man's God. No one blesses except God. And he's so desperate that he's saying, if I have to die in this process of trying to get the I'll die. You can put all my joints out of, all my bones out of joint. He said. And so then Jacob hears in verse 26, the day breaketh. And we can imagine you know, Jacob saying to himself, yeah, the day breaketh. That's, there's gonna be a new, my night is finished, my day is starting. 
Now, as if we haven't seen enough, uh, this, this, is all, this is all very shocking. Everything in here is very shocking, and, and it's, it's very strange things. But in verse 27, he says to him, what's thy name? And he said, Jacob. So the man is God, and God's saying, you know, what's God saying? God's saying, let's see, you know, it's been a long night of been wrestling. I've kind of forgotten who I'm wrestling with here. <laughs> been a tough night, you know, so uh, I see a slip in my mind. What's your name again? <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of, this is all very surprising, you know. God knows all things. God knew his name was Jacob. So the question is, why does, he, why does he ask his name? Why does he ask to tell him his name? Because from the time that Jacob took his first breath in life, Jacob was given this very, very meaningful name of heel grabber, a, a name that incorporates Jacob's character. From the time of his birth, he's identified as a person who would try to take what was not his. A birthright that wasn't his, he's going to grab it, take advantage, by, uh, take advantage of a weakness, and then by deceit. And so Jacob really kind of describes him as a sinner by his name from the time of his birth. That's a picture for us. I mean, when Adam sinned, Adam became sinful. And there's a very interesting statement about Adam's son, Seth, and it's in Genesis 5.3. Genesis 5.3, it's kind of going through all the history of Adam. And it says, And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. There's Seth, you know. Seth, Seth's, the, you know, Abel's the dead one, Cain's the bad one, Seth's the good one, you know. So Seth. And it's a very interesting word that's used to describe Seth it's the word likeness, you know, likeness, demut in Hebrew, likeness. You know, it's first used by God when God was in the planning stage for making man. And God says, you know, planning on making man, I think I'm making my own likeness. It says in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And when God then moves into the making phase for man, he describes it as, as being in the, in the likeness of God. He says in Genesis 1, 27, the next verse, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him, him, male and female created them. So God makes Adam and Eve without sin. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they developed sin into their likeness. And sin was not part of God's likeness, but sin became a part of man's likeness. So when a man sinned, when Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, when, they, when man sinned, he lost his sinless nature that was part of God's likeness. And so losing that, that's why Adam's son Seth is described in the likeness and image, not of God, but of Adam, because Seth had a sinful nature. Adam and Eve received a sinful nature. They received a sinful nature by choice. But their children received a sinful nature by birth. And then they confirmed their sinful nature by choice as well. We're all children of Adam. And, and so we've been born in the image and the likeness of Adam with a sin nature. And we all prove that when we're given the opportunity, we choose sin. We were born in sin. God said about man in uh, talking to Noah in Genesis 8, 21, it says that for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. That's what God said about all men. The imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. So when Adam sinned, he became an unclean sinner. And as an unclean sinner, Adam could only bring forth unclean, sinful children into the world. 
And Job emphasized that in Job 14.4. Job 14.4, when Job says, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. And Romans 5.12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So Jacob is born in sin. His name reflects that. And God is asking now, put your attention on your name. Just put your attention on your name. Heel grabber. And, you know, think about how your name really describes your life of conniving. Get what's not yours. And when we see God asking Jacob what his name was to get Jacob to focus on his failed life of grabbing, it reminds us of what God did right after the fall. You might want to turn to that, Genesis 3, 9. It's very, very foundational, fundamental for in, in the Bible for understanding about sin and God, how God deals with sin. But Because in Genesis 3, 9, it says, the Lord called unto Adam right after he sinned and said unto him, where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, well, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree I did eat. It's her fault. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this thou hast done? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me. The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and, and so forth. Now, how many parties were involved in the sin and fall of man? It's pretty easy, right? How many? Have? Three. That's right. Three. Okay. Adam, Eve, the serpent. Good. Now, let's look at how did God address the first party, Adam? How did he, what did he say to Adam? After he sinned, he said, where are you? First thing, right? Where art thou? In Genesis 3, 9. Okay. So, you know, again, you know, God's asking where he is. You know, did God lose Adam? You know, he says, Adam, I keep losing him. I need to put a cowbell on him, you know. <laughs> I keep losing Adam. He didn't, you know, he didn't need the information of where, where Adam was. He knew where he was. Clearly, just like with Jacob, God is asking Adam where you are. In other words, take stock of your condition. You know, God was drawing out of Adam attention to where he was. You know, God really was going, at this point, when he says, where art thou? God is like saying to Adam, how's that new disobedient life working out for you, Adam? You know, that's what's going on. You know, how's that new life of following the serpent uh, instead of me? How's that working out for you, Adam? That's where he was going. So God asked Adam, you know, where he was, it shows a goodness of God. It shows a kindness. He's leading Adam to, to look at his pathetic condition. You know, you're running away from God. You know, this is the first step. And this is what repentance is. Repentance is running back to God after I've run away from God. And so the first step of running back, coming back to God, is for a person to see, boy, I'm suffering from my disobedience and the consequences of sin. So this is, this is why I say it shows the goodness of God. It, it, it shows when God is saying, look back and see what you did and see where you've landed. Adam, look back. Let my question where you are I, you know, cause you to put attention on what you did and what's happened to you. Because Adam, I want to receive you back. But you can't come back and you can't get my forgiveness and my mercy unless you repent, confess. Confess. 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. On opening day, September 25th, we'll have Phil's Barbecue with special guest musician Jim Earp. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 